0: Kristen Jensen is the author of the best-selling book series, Good Pictures, Bad Pictures, books that will help parents teach their children what to do when they see pornography. Neil and I get asked a lot about how to protect children from developing pornography addiction, and while we have a lot of experience helping adults find recovery and in our own recovery journey, we've really never felt like experts in the field of how to help children stay safe from pornography. Luckily, Kristen Jensen has years and years of research based experience in understanding how young minds work and teaching parents to talk to their kids about pornography and what to do if and when they see pornography. I learned so much from this interview with Kristen, and I think you guys will too. Okay, today we have an amazing guest on our podcast for Mint Era Messages, and I'm so excited because I really feel like this message is something that needs to be shared. and something that I actually have Neil here with me today, too, Hi, everyone. to do this interview. This is super exciting. And it's something that Neil and I get asked a lot about because we're open about our story with um, Neil's Addiction Recovery But we don't really have the answers because we're not experts. So we brought an expert on, and her name is Kristen, and I'm going to let her introduce herself and just tell us what she's all about.
1: All right. Well, first of all, I am so grateful to be here with you today and excited to talk about this issue of preventing uh, pornography addiction, preventing pornography problems with children, because prevention is a lot easier. Even though it does take a certain amount of work, then recovery. I'm sure yes. I would
2: have to agree. With that. Agree
1: with that. <laughs> that. Recovery is 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 really a lifetime prospect, and it's it's tough. And so, I am really grateful uh, to be here. I never thought I would be doing this, you know, when I was younger. But I met a mom whose 17 year old son was involved with pornography and he was also acting out sexually on his younger brothers and sisters and they were very devout in their religion and they were you know trying she was trying to do all the right things she was homeschooling to try to protect her children you know from the outside influences but with internet right, right the outside world just finds its way so easily into your home. And into your your brain and into your heart. So uh, the next morning I woke up, I just had a thought, just kept coming to my mind, who will help me warn the young children? And I didn't know what I thought is I'm going to go find a book that I can give to this friend and will help her children. So I started looking for a book online to find what could help those children you know, stay free from pornography because I could see the awful uh, repercussions. Pornography wires a child for sexual experiences and they sometimes go and act out those sexual drives on other children. So, and we can talk more about that later, but I wanted to find a resource and when I could not locate anything, I, Had the idea, the crazy idea that I could just write this book for kids. I, like, you know, this isn't rocket science, right? I mean, this is, Mm -hmm. you know, I started watching YouTube videos about it. I'm like, oh, you know, this could be explained to a child. We could kind of bring this down, but it took three years. I thought it was going to take a couple of weeks in the summer. Wow. But I was woefully wrong on that one. But after three years of writing, getting help from a lot of other parents and professionals, we came up with good pictures, bad pictures, porn proofing today's young kids. We have continued to improve it. And we have a second edition out now that is just even a better tool than the first edition. It has discussion question, questions and updated science. And we just keep trying to make it relevant and helpful the more we learn we try to put that in, in those books. So, and we also have a junior edition.
0: It's yeah, it's incredible. We've, I've read through it. We've read it with the junior edition with our kids. It is such a powerful resource for parents who I think most parents feel like, gosh, how do I protect my young children from finding these things and then having that that affect them for the rest of their lives. And it's obviously something Neil and I have talked a lot about because I've asked him like, what, you know, did anybody like talk to you about this or prevent? And most of it was just, I don't know. I'll let you talk about what you remember.
2: Yeah. I I really with, especially with kids, I I don't think at that point, I really remember hearing much about, about it explained in a way. I mean, I think it wasn't until I was in, you know, 13, 14, 15 Mm -hmm. within our church that I started hearing about, Hey, you know, pornography, potentially it's bad, it's bad. and and by that time, I had already been exposed to it. And so I kind of, I don't think I ever got a prevention talk about it. And so it wasn't even until a lot later on that I really addressed the issue and started trying to work it out. But by that time, I'd already been exposed pretty heavily by the time that I was seeking help. So this I this concept and reading your books is really, Fascinating to me, and and I think it. I look at it and I'm like, man, how how important is this? Especially being in the day and age now, where I, I personally have come to the conclusion that everyone's going to be exposed to it. It's just a matter of what you do when you're exposed. And so that's what I like about what you've said in your books and kind of what you set up and how to respond to that, especially for kids. Cause there's a lack of understanding of what that even is and why, why they're mm-hmm. even feeling the way they're feeling. So
0: Kristen, when did all, so, and maybe you already said this, but when did this all start for you? Like how many years ago?
1: So that started in 2011 and okay. the wow. book came out in 2014 and then okay, our junior book came out in 2017. So, and I got three or four more books in my brain. That's so
0: awesome. But so you've been working on this for a good a, a long time, really for almost a decade as far as your work in this space and creating these books and then the books have been out for about 5 years, is that right? Yes. Yes. So so do you so so what I'm wondering is do you hear from a lot of parents that what's the age that you hear most kids are beginning to be exposed to this stuff because I feel like that's something I'm curious about and a lot of my friends are worried
1: like hey what what age do you need to worry that's a great question and it's a question I get a lot first of all Mm -hmm. people ask well what is the average age of the first exposure to pornography Mm -hmm. among my peers who are PhDs and research specialists we cannot find um, a good research study that shows that it's very difficult to go into an elementary school with young children. There may be a way, but I haven't seen it done yet. Where you can ask children, "When was your? When were you first exposed?" Because technology is so yeah. quickly. Any data that we have before 2007, when the iPhone came out, and 2010, when the iPad came out, is pretty much obsolete. Right? Those Mm -hmm. dangers, bringing the internet to children and in a mobile kind of way. So this is what I say when people ask, well, what, at what age should I start talking to my children about, you know, the problems on the internet and in apps and games? Mm -hmm. I say, along with other experts, that the first time that they have access to the internet like, what age do they have access to the internet?
0: So are you talking about if, like, if you're handing your kid a smartphone and not watching them? Or literally any time that they might be around someone else who has the internet, too? or
1: Literally any time that those children can start to navigate on the internet, on a device, okay. in a game... We like to think we can lock everything down and there, there are getting, there are some better controls with kids -hmm. and and there are some better controls now. However, I believe that, you know, you can lock down your devices, but when they go to grandma's, maybe her devices aren't locked down or next door neighbor to a friend's house, Mm -hmm. you know, there's just a myriad of opportunities for those kids to be exposed and they need to know how to handle it, right? They need to um, not be caught off guard because when children are caught off guard by pornography, they get pulled in. And it's not that they're bad kids. They're not bad kids. We have to get, this is a myth that, that, oh, my child is good. I take Mm -hmm. church. I do everything, you know, whatever. Um, So my child would never want to look at that stuff well. That simply is not true. It's a myth. And we need to, you know, bust that myth and and realize that all of us are biologically wired to be interested in nudity, the human body.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Sexuality. Well, it's hardwired into our brains. And children, unfortunately, when they are exposed, especially a lot, Get a lot of exposure to this material are sexualized early and and if no one's talking to them and if they don't have anybody to talk to, and if there's so much shame going on, then you know they get pulled in, and then even if they feel bad about it, they use porn to distract themselves so they don't feel bad. right, Maybe you can speak to that
0: a little bit, Neil,
2: yeah, no that. This is all very, very fascinating. And I I completely resonate with everything that you're saying right now. Um, I I went through, we went through together an outpatient recovery program um, and learned about a lot of the science behind it and the data that's out there and why, you know, why there's a feeling of powerlessness and how that begins in the brain and and all these things. So yeah, I, I think looking at that from an early age and amongst the circles that I've been in within recovery meetings or recovery groups... It's really the age of exposure is is shockingly young, a lot younger than you think. Get um,
0: specific about that. for
2: myself. I remember seeing pornography for the first time when I was five, um, so that was in you know about kindergarten. Um, you know, coming across some some material, and back then the internet wasn't available. I mean, it was it was you know a, a magazine that I found. And so now I look at the what's available to kids and, and, and knowing for myself the accessibility mm-hmm. and, and pr- pretty much you know, proving to myself through a lot of trial and error and trying to overcome things and that I've I found for myself any device, any medium where there's you know some type of media on a device. I can find pornography if I if I really wanted to I could find it and I agree with you like there are a lot of safeguards, which it's gotten a lot better. I think in the early days it was kind of like wild, wild west, like you you know, type in anything and you'd see pornography come up. It's gotten a lot better, and the safeguards have gotten better, but kids are smart. They know how to use the phones, and even—
0: Well, just even, like, I think about Annabelle going to school, and even though, yeah, the computer— I'm, I would imagine, hopefully, that the computer lab is pretty, like— you know, a safe zone, but how many kids at school are carrying around smartphones and at recess, are they looking at stuff or at lunch? Are they pulling stuff? I, up?
1: I say that every school bus in America is a theater. I've heard so many stories of five-year-olds getting exposed to pornography from an older child who has a smartphone. And so our job as parents is to persuade children, educate children, persuade them, yes, use filters yeah, because that shows that, hey, we are serious about this, right? But don't mm-hmm. don't get sucked in by the the thought that the filters are, you know it. It's one tool in your arsenal. just like our book or another yeah. tool in your arsenal that foster that communication. It's communication. Mm-hmm between the parent and the child and that bond of trust. I just got a text this morning from a mom that used our junior book and, and read the junior book to her children. And she said, what a sweet experience it was. And that seems a little mm-hmm. counterintuitive, right? That I'm gonna talk about pornography and it's gonna be a sweet experience. But I've heard this over and over again. Parents say it built the trust I felt Mm -hmm. this huge weight lifted because I had begun this conversation. And when you think about the weight that's lifted from your shoulders, think about the weight that's lifted from your little child's shoulders who may have seen this but didn't even have the vocabulary to know how to come to you and talk to you about it. I'm sure Neil knows what I'm talking about. You feel this burden of secrecy and shame?
2: Oh, yeah absolutely and that's exactly what happens or happened to me is like you know yeah there's a lot of these emotions that are coming up and you're like wow this is you know you're feeling all these things but also there is such I mean I vivid vividly remember this there's such a feeling of shame that Mm -hmm. first time I saw pornography like just the thickest just most disgusting feeling of shame and that you know, it drives it drives everything underground. It creates that secrecy, and I learned something. You know, a phrase early on in recovery that I learned is secrets are the lifeblood of addiction. And so, driving the more secretive and isolating I felt with with pornography, the worse the addiction got. Um, and so, undoing all of that, I I thought, man, if I could have, you know, had. An opportunity to have an open channel with my mom or my my dad or you know somebody in 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 that situation, I probably could have released a lot of that and recognized like, hey, I'm not a horrible person because I saw this. Mm-hmm. I'm not a bad person. Um, you know, I was I was exposed to this. I shouldn't have. This is what it is. This is this is not what sexuality was designed for. This is not what God intended when he, he, you know, created these desires within us. This is not an accurate representation. Um, this is what it's for. And I don't think I learned that until much later.
0: So Kristen, I, I love how you address shame in your book and not making a kid feel bad. And can you talk a little bit about the, I love that part in the book where you talk about how the parent may feel or react when you ask your kid, have you seen these types of pictures That's in before? the back
1: of the junior book? Uh, you may have mixed feelings, right? When your child uh, mm-hmm. tells you, right. About an exposure to pornography, but you, you may be freaked out. You may be scared, right. But right. put a big smile on your face and give your child a hug and assure them by saying, thank you for telling me you did the right thing. Uh, Really good advice for parents in the back of the junior book. But in the book itself, and you were talking about the shame, we really want, we don't want any child to feel ashamed. And um, it was really a recovery expert that read over my manuscript and told me, you have to put this sentence in. This is Mm -hmm. a sentence. Sometimes kids see bad pictures by accident. But even if you see a bad picture, that doesn't make you a bad kid. So, have you ever seen a picture, you know, people with no clothes on? If you have, don't worry. There's something good you can do if you see a bad picture. And then we talk about the turn, run, and tell. So, really, just so important to not bring on that shame for children, to make it an open conversation. And then they know they have someone to come to and they're not a bad kid. That is the main, like you said, the secrecy. They think there's something wrong with me, you know, Mm -hmm. to this stuff that, you know, now I've learned is bad, right? There must, therefore I must be bad. Kids are not bad.
0: And I love, yeah, I love in the book how you show like these cleaning supplies, poison they will make you sick. Like that's helpful, I think, because kids understand like just because I come across a cleaning supply doesn't make me a bad person. It's like those those little things in, in your book and in the way you illustrate it and in the way it sets up that conversation between a, a mom or dad and the child is very Yeah because helpful. it's
1: really the I mean there's really good information here, but what's the most important part about the books is that they prompt those conversations, they get you started, they get you over, you know, in physics, it's called activation energy, right? It's like that hump that you got to get mm-hmm. over to get started on a project or get started on something. And the activation energy is very high for, for docs, mm-hmm. right? To start those discussions. And that's what these books are designed to do to make it feel very, very comfortable to begin those conversations because the books are not going to save your kids from porn but guess what will help them is your relationship and your love uh, and your constant mentoring of them mm-hmm. through their throughout their childhood when they're young you've got to act as their prefrontal cortex you know that already right you have to keep them from running out in the street yeah. teach them to be on the sidewalk mm-hmm. you know all these things You've got to be their prefrontal cortex because they don't know. That's the decision-making part of your brain that says,
0: "If I go play in the street, a car might hit me." They like it's a, a three-year-old story. doesn't process that
1: of the brain, right? It's the thing that mm-hmm. learns from yeah. the bad experiences, so you don't do them again. The prefrontal cortex, we call it the thinking brain in good pictures, bad pictures, is the part that's immature in children. Parents have to step in. They have to you know, help children develop their thinking brain. They have to help children develop an internal filter for pornography. Mm-hmm. And um, so yes. that's why in in the original book, the Good Pictures, Bad Pictures, Porn-Proofing Today's Young Kids, we talk a lot more about the brain science, but we boil it down. So it's really simple. Seven-year-old can understand it. Um, but it's the thinking brain and the feeling brain. And an addiction, and, as, and Neil, you know this, is when your feeling brain takes over and your thinking brain is no longer in charge, no longer being consulted, no longer, you know, making those decisions. It's the feeling brain that just wants that next hit of mm-hmm. dopamine. Um, and it is going for that. And, um, you know, I. I feel that when I get stressed, like, you know, I find myself in front of the the refrigerator, right? Like, <laughs> like I just I want some, some chocolate. Some, I need some star, sweetie, yes. sweet kind of thing to, and my brain just goes to that. And it is so hard to break those, those ingrained, uh, that, that brain pathway, right?
0: And with children, like, let's talk about that for a minute. Why it's, Why it's more like why we're at more of a risk and why it's a little more dangerous for children.
1: Well, all if you look at addictions and when people get addicted, you will find that most people come into an addiction in their adolescence or pre adolescence. Mm -hmm. They, if you wait till 25. Most people will not get addicted because the brain is now fully developed, right? If you wait till you're 25 and then you see your first pornography, and if you have any idea that, you know, this could be harmful, right? You will have the ability to say, you know what, I'm not going to go there. But the younger children are, and the more immature their thinking brain is, the more help they need. Because young children, even young children can get an addiction, can develop an addiction. And we don't want to call everybody an addict. So I try not to even use the word addict. They use you know, people with an addiction or children struggling with an addiction. But if we ignore that and think, oh, no, kids can't develop an addiction. That's ridiculous. Let me tell you.
2: They can. <laughs> I know from first well, firsthand and, experience. And
0: this is interesting. So, Kirsten, I was um, on Instagram the other day, and Jen Gotch, who is the, one of the founders of Shop Bando, it's just this fun little company that I love. She's very open about um, her struggles with, like, depression. And she, I thought this was so interesting. She was listing all these things that was she was trying to use in her last, like, kind of depression funk and one of them was, she listed, tried porn, can't get into it. I just don't get it. Like, and I, I read that and I was like, that's kind of interesting. Because, you know, we have, and Neil and I have talked about this too. There's plenty of the world who thinks there's nothing wrong with pornography. And that's a different discussion for a different day. But to your point... Jen's, I think, close to my age, somewhere in her early 30s, maybe late 20s. I don't want to offend her. If she, I doubt she'll listen to this. But just in case, um, you know, she's an older, like, she not older, but she's an adult. She's, like you said, she has a developed brain. And and I just thought that was interesting that she listed, you know, like, oh, tried porn, just can't get into it. like she's looking for um,
1: dopamine. Her brain looking yeah. for dopamine. Yeah. When you're depressed, everything is, you know, you're not producing enough serotonin. You're not producing... And you can't get, you know, you want that spark. Um, I had a family member who, who struggles with depression and she had, she was, having like a postpartum depression. And I took her and her kids to a theme park, you know, that had roller coasters. Mm-hmm. And there's this one roller coaster. Oh, my goodness. I went on it. Terrified. Okay. Terrified. <laughs> and that was actually the last roller coaster ride I went on. I'm like, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> but I told my I told her about that. And she says, I'm gonna, I said, don't go on that ride. And she goes, I'm gonna go on that ride. So I held her baby, she went with her kids and went on that ride and came back. And I'm like, how was it? She goes, you know what? I felt something. <laughs> and 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 it was it was good to feel something. And so we were like, oh, yeah. roller coaster therapy for people with depression. How about that?
0: That's,
1: that works. So but that's the thing you're seeking right so pornography yes. give her that well to some people that is that's their coping mechanism that's but the problem mm-hmm. with that and neil can attest to that is this is that as you become more addicted your dopamine your ability to actually use dopamine transfer dopamine uptake dopamine through the, the neural connections is reduced so you're always seeking uh, that high, and then you're trying to get more and more extreme porn to give mm-hmm. that and that arousal, yeah. and then that's what keeps people going and going and going for novelty and extremity of content. Mm-hmm. So,
2: yeah, it's it's progressive for sure in nature, and you know, I got a buddy who's a he's a recovering from a pain pill addiction, and he's like, you know. It worked great. It was my solution. It, it seemed to fix everything. It worked great until it didn't mm-hmm. work. And it's just the tolerance builds up and, and you're always looking for more and more. And all of a sudden it's like he's taking, you know, this copious amounts of drugs, but not getting that same high because those You know, that dopamine just you get the tolerance built up to it and it it just doesn't work anymore. And then your life becomes more and more progressively unmanageable.
0: Well, and can you imagine handing like I mean, here's another example like that's highly controversial, but cannabis, can you imagine handing a three year old? a joint <laughs>
2: like yeah, yeah if
0: you think that's fine as an adult like that's another conversation for another day but do you really want like a three or five-year-old like starting that at that age and that like you're saying they're developing a tolerance to it and by the time they're like a teenager like forget it you know what i mean yeah. so
2: question yes oh i i was just wondering and, and this is just kind of for me personally like we have we have a, a six-year-old and we've talked to and, and actually read, you know, the, the I think the junior mm-hmm. version, which I think is fantastic. I mean, it's I think awesome. one of the greatest things that I see from that is the identification of like, call it what it is. I'm like, man, how powerful is that? And, and so I love that. And that's something that we've taught to her is this is what pornography is. It's, it's pictures of people with little to no clothing on. And so, you know, when you see it or if you see it, call it what it is and then come talk to us. So we've we've started that conversation and and followed up. I guess my so my question kind of is is I I, I want to keep that in open dialogue, but I also don't want to create like a hypersensitivity of like every, you know, I just feel like I'm badgering, like, "Hey, just are you? You know, have you? Did you come and see mm-hmm. me? Like, did, did you see pornography? Come, come! Remember to come talk to me. Remember to come talk to me."
0: We're talking about it so much that it it's becomes like, like this insane curiosity. It almost to creates
2: her. like a like it almost creates a shame because I'm bringing it up too much. What um, I don't know. I guess as a, as far as a frequency or a follow up after that initial conversation, what, what are your thoughts or from your research that you've done? How do you Create an ongoing conversation without instilling like shame or or maybe even creating that curiosity of like man they keep asking me about this what is it um, mm-hmm. you know what what are your thoughts on that great
1: question and um, I'm going to tell you right now I don't have the perfect answer for every family but here's a few guidelines sure. first of all I want to go back and address what you were saying how it's so important for kids to recognize what porn is so the books really have three goals. One is to define pornography or bad pictures, right? Mm -hmm. So kids can recognize it. And of course, we know that simple nudity, you know, is not pornography. But for a child, we want to just give them enough of a definition so that they can recognize it. We're not going to give them the whole horrible, you know, this is what pornography is. Especially if you haven't even talked to them about sex, which... Does need to happen at an earlier age, in this world. But
2: yes. But
1: uh, well, you can read the books with the kids without having the sex talk. There's no, not sex is not mentioned in any of them. But so one define the term so they can recognize it. Two, help them understand that it's dangerous and harmful. And three, give them a plan for what to do when they see it. So those things: a definition, understanding that it's harmful. And a plan for a, you know, a response plan. So in the junior book yes. we have the turn run and tell plan, and in the original book, we have the can do plan. So now, ha- as to frequency of discussions, let's, let's talk about that. I would say that a child easily have weekly experiences here. The main thing is to bring it up enough, that they feel comfortable coming to you, but of course you don't want to be beating, you know, constantly on it. Like you said, that'll be too much. You, I think, once you have the original talk, you want to review this information with them. So I know parents that will, you know, kind of, you know, they'll keep the books out. Some kids l- love to read them, but but some parents will say, well, we go through this every, you know, six months, four months, whatever. Uh, So they get on some kind of a schedule to kind of review the information in the books, just to make sure their kids know, like, okay, you know, and remember it. Because we don't teach things just once, you know, as far as other kinds of topics, right? We don't think it's a one and done. So this is not a one and done, because they're going to have this challenge throughout their childhood. Some parents do a Top Tech Tuesday. And that's Mm -hmm. something, you know, you might want to, and it's a time to talk about all kinds of, issues with technology. The other thing you can do, we have an article on our blog at protectyoungminds.org about taking advantage of those um, you know, those unplanned teaching moments. So if you see something, a picture or a poster or a sign, or you saw something during the day that was to you, mm-hmm. you can mention it. Say, you know, I saw this or, oh, do you see that sign? And you know what? This is the real, this is the reality. No parent. We have to come to this. You will not be perfect, right? You will not be perfect yeah. for every child. I'm telling right. you, when your kids get older and adults and they come back and tell you how you were not perfect, <laughs> you get a little humbled. Like, oh, I thought I was doing better at that. But I'm sure
0: we're just planning on it. We're already putting money away for our <laughs> I kids' know. therapy.
2: You know we're messing up our kids. We're <laughs> just trying to try minimize that. The mess good
1: up. news awesome. is you don't have to be perfect. That's the good news. Mm-hmm. Loving a child, trying, doing your best, and knowing that you are the best person to influence them, and knowing that they still have their own will. Right? They'. You can mm-hmm. see. If we keep all that rumbling around in our head and just do the best we can, right? There's a lot of other things we have to deal with as parents. I can't imagine, I mean, when you think of the devastating consequences that a pornography involvement can not only just like like hurting a marriage in the future, but there's studies that show that people that are involved in pornography have a lower marriage rate, you know, not married. They're not actually even interacting with other kids, like in the same way. Like when I was, you know, a younger teen and, you know, I would go out, I'd like a boy and maybe we'd go out and hold hands. And then there was that first kiss. And then it's just kind of like, I had a normally kind of pro- progressing sexual development. Whereas kids nowadays that they watch porn and, you know, they're getting into risky sex before they're even kissing, it's 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 mind-blowing. So we want children to have wonderful, wonderful sexual experiences when they're adults, when they're ready for it. We want to have them have a normal sexual development and pornography just totally upends that and can be harmful to that.
0: That's a good point, too, that the type of pornography addiction that Neil dealt with is probably going to be very different as far as like he wasn't really exposed to internet pornography until after he was an adult. Probably in my 20s, I
2: think.
0: Right. Where like, can you imagine how different that could have been if all of this started on a smartphone or a tablet when you were a five year old? You know what I mean? And And you were seeing videos.
2: I've, I've thought about that. I look at I just understanding the progression and how that works with, you know, where it starts on the spectrum of you see something maybe in, you know, a a catalog or something that comes in the mail versus the far end of that spectrum and what that looks like. That is instantaneous with the internet. And I think, you know, I look at how quickly that happens and I thought, I've thought often thought to myself of what if I had access to that as mm-hmm. a kid and what would have been different? And I'm like, oh my goodness, like that is crazy to think about how quickly that progression would have happened. And so, I mean, and one thought that I've had, and, and and maybe you can speak to this a bit, would be. I of myself, I live a very interesting life, technologically speaking. I don't on my, on my phone, I can text, I can email, and I can call, and that's it. This is by choice. I have my wife set things up. I'm pretty uninformed. So I've I have i have really stepped back from technology just as part of my healing process and with our kids. So this is kind of what what maybe you can speak to, you know, we've we've held that back and and not giving them tablets not giving them you know phones so we plan to hold back so th- this is i think there's there's maybe two sides to the coin on this or schools of thought one being yes let's pr- let's kind of protect them from that you know as long as possible so that they can have an opportunity to develop and you can have the conversations to so the where they can use it responsibly when they do receive those things or the other school of thought being like hey we live in a technological world. There's no getting around it. They just need to learn how to use it responsibly. So mm-hmm. give and give that to them early and give them the opportunity to learn about it. What do, what do you think? And
0: I Well, and just one more thing before we keep going. I keep thinking like, are we are we like holding our kids back from being able to succeed later in life because we don't let them touch any technology basically, you know? Like no. we were at Facebook and Instagram headquarters last week and they were talking about how they're doing all these programs to try to get kids interested in computer science because there's not enough developers out there right now to meet the demand. So, mm. so yes, it, I agree with Neil completely. We're kind of like, I don't know. Are we doing it right? What do we do? What's your advice?
1: Um, okay. I read a book that was really interesting. It was called The Revenge of Analog. And it was showing how lots of people are actually going back like, you know, vinyl records become so... They're a thing. Yeah. Younger mm-hmm. people. Right. I got rid of all my vinyl records. What? Why did I do that? <laughs> you could have made a lot of money on oh. eBay. <laughs> so, um, but they talked about these, like the founders of these big tech companies and how they won't give their kids. It's like the uh, Steve jobs wouldn't let his own kids have an iPad. So they know something. Right. And a lot of these Silicon, you know, Valley parents send their kids to like Waldorf schools where they don't have any technology. They're out in the woods, you know, whatever. So, <laughs> you know, I don't think that you're going to hurt your child one little bit by forestalling screen time. Honestly, kids learn really quickly. Uh, so, if, if they're okay. like twelve, and that's the first time they've ever seen a screen. They'll have that figured out in 45 minutes, you know, maybe 20. So I I don't think that you have to worry about that. I think you do have to worry about the effect of screen time on the brain. There's been studies Mm. now showing that it is, you know, it is, it can be devastating for a child. They grow up with uh, all kinds of issues, ADHD-like issues when they have unlimited screen time. So. You know, I don't think you're I would I would definitely uh, if I'm going to err on one side, I would err on, you know, holding back. You don't give your three year old the keys to the car and say, well, you know, at some point you're going to have to learn to drive.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a good. <laughs> good point. Started yeah, yeah, I- right
1: now because you're going to be a much better driver if I give you the keys when you're three years old. We go, well, when they're 15 and a half, they can get a learner's permit and then. So you know, they can go through this course, and they have to have so many hours, and then finally we're gonna let them have a driver's license. And yeah,
2: I like that.
0: So uh, what is like your that. advice? So so uh, that perfectly segues into the conversation of like teenagers' phones. What's your advice with all of that?
2: On, on when? specifically? Yeah,
0: like when do you hand your kid a smartphone? When they're eighteen and you're sending them off to college, and they don't have any, you don't have influence on them anymore. I don't want to do yeah, that, but. but- A high schooler with a smartphone terrified me
1: too. (laughs) So again, it's mentoring and it's starting with, you know, we have a wonderful article on protectingminds.org called when should kids have cell phones reveal best strategies? We actually pulled our Facebook group. We have a a let's talk parent Facebook group and We polled them and said, okay, when do you let your kids, what are your plans? And we got so much great advice from other parents. So we just brought all that together, put it in this Mm -hmm. blog post, which maybe you can share a link to this, but. Absolutely. We'll put that in the show
0: notes, the, the links to these articles and to your Facebook group and all. So one
1: of the things is to linking cell phones and mobile devices with responsibility. So. Here's a couple of things. One, I don't give kids, I would not give kids like it's Christmas. Here's your phone. It's Christmas, Here's mm-hmm. your iPad. No, it's Christmas. Here's the family iPad. Right. Mm-hmm. And we've well, okay. got two. All right, fine. But it's our iPad and you get to use it as long as you're obeying our rules and using it within the guidelines that we've set up and it's okay to involve mm-hmm. your children if they're a little older informing those guidelines, but ultimately the parents are the parents and it's my phone. It's my, I'm paying the bill, right? Yep. And so that psychological difference between being, Oh, this is my phone. You can't have it. You can't look at it. You can't, whatever. I just had a friend call me and tell me that in the middle of the night, she felt had this idea. She should go check her daughter's phone and she went and she found some bad stuff on it 15 year old. So, I'm not saying you can't allow them to use a phone uh, when they're a teenager, but also link it with responsibility. So, start with a, mm-hmm. a lesser device and then, you know, link it. So, there's a lot of ideas in this article about linking it with responsibility. So, if a child is a, you know, basically following the rules, of other technology, maybe they're getting off their games when you ask them to, or really respecting the limits that you're placing on technology use, then, they, then that's one more sign that they are ready for a little bit more. And in this blog post, we have like four stages that you can go through. But I just wanted to say that it also begins with how we use our own technology. There's yeah. there was a a little picture that went viral on Facebook and it was like a second grader had an assignment in class that said tell me about an invention that you don't like and why. So this is what this little kid wrote. If I had to tell you what invention I don't like, I would say that I don't like the phone, meaning cell phone. <laughs> I don't like the phone because mm-hmm. my parents are in their phone every day. A phone is sometimes a really bad habit. I hate my mom's phone and I wish she never had one. That is an invention that I don't like. And they did a little phone, that crossed it out and they had a little sad face saying, I hate it. So, you know, again, we have to model good mm-hmm. responsibility, good behavior. But going to the technology, there are some cell phone alternatives. And for example, gizmo gadgets. If you want your kid to have a gadget so that you can be in touch with them when they go play at the park or whatever. I'm going to send my kids to college with a gizmo.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. But really, I love that. I'm like, when when we need to be able to pick them up from a practice or whatever, they're going to have gizmo watches for sure.
1: And then you can go on up to flip phones, you know? Then you can go to prepaid phones. That's what I got my kids. Prepaid phones. Like, okay, I'm going to load it up with this much time. You know and and so
2: that's what I had in high school. I had a very, very limited yeah. time. So it was like very, very quick, quick conversations. You learn how to get efficient.
1: It's actually, <laughs> a really cheap way to have a phone. iPhone parental controls, Android parental controls. There's all kinds of things. So there's we've got this purposeful, intentional, four-level plan that you can go to step your children up in their use of technology so that they are ready. You know, there's this whole wait until eighth um, movement. I still think eighth grade is kind of 13. I mean, it's kind of
2: young. A little young. I know, I would think a little older for myself.
1: But, but. you know, when you consider six-year-olds are getting iPhones, when you consider t- most 10-year-olds have an iPhone, I mean, and an Instagram, I mean, Instaporn account, you know, that is really troubling. So yeah, wait until eighth. Sounds like a much better alternative than, you know, wait until eight, you know, wait until eighth Mm. grade. Yeah, so mentoring children in the use of technology, making sure that you tackle the tech. You know, I would love to propose that parents think of themselves as a guide. So let's say you're going to go on a safari or you're going to go on a hike in, in the mountains. And you want to be the guide. You want to go ahead on that trail and make sure that it's good, it's safe. There's no lions and tigers and bears on the trail, right? <laughs> and then you can say, okay, come along. Or guess what? I did see some dangers, so we're going to take another trail. And parents need to be willing to go there and be that guide for their children. I am saddened when I see parents letting their kids have Instagram and Snapchat accounts when they've never explored those apps. And we are playing an old tape in our mind because Snapchat, you know, lots of parents say, Oh, that's a cute little app where, you know, you just kind of snap a picture and it's gone in 10 seconds. And, you know, and kids like to use it, Well, no, it's a full on video streaming platform and there's, of porn performers on there stripping and swipe up to see me you know do my thing with some partner and that's all on snapchat so yeah and it's it seems
0: like there's a new app every week that we have to watch out for so yeah i i agree with you that you really have to be watching what your kids are doing and be involved you've got to
1: be guide that goes ahead and puts on the big girl pants and the big boy pants. Now, I'm not saying if you have an issue with porn, I don't want you to go there. I want somebody else to go there. Yeah, <laughs> I,
2: I wouldn't be. <laughs> i protect myself.
1: That's
0: going to be my job.
1: But. but go there. And I have been there. I have seen what's on Snapchat, so what's so easy to see. I have seen how they link with their Instagram accounts. And it, it's so easy to get to. So let's be let's be aware of what's out there. I'm not saying you, should, you need to go and watch porn yourself, but be aware of what's out there and how easy it is for your kids to to get to it. You know, there's a book called American Girls: The Social Media and the Secret Lives of Teens. Uh, and it is amazing. It's quite an eye-opening book. I believe it was a New York Times bestseller. And this book talked about how lots of tweens and teens don't want to tell their parents about what they're really involved in and what they see and what happens to them. They, they think their parents couldn't take it. They can't take it and I don't want to trouble them. And, you know, but the kids that are growing up today are growing up in a more stressful environment and, They have a lot of, and if, if their home life is perfect, great, but their friend's home life is not. And they take that on. I was just talking with a teenage girl Mm -hmm. last night and she was telling me about some of the problems of her friends and her own problem. And I'm like, these kids are growing up in a different, in such a more stressful environment. So mm -hmm.
2: I like what you said about maintaining that relationship with them, and especially with the internal filter. I mean, just from like my own personal experience with, you know, struggle with pornography, like I've come to the realization, we've gone through different things where, you know, I'm like, it seemed like every single time until I got to that point where I didn't want to do it because I didn't want to do it, like the the internal filter was set up. Prior to that, I was trying, which I think is good, and I think you have to do is to set up, like, let me just box myself out completely but I found that there was always a way to break through. And there was okay. always this. And it's like, okay, hey, I figured this out. Can you shut this off? And then it was like, okay, now I figured out I can get it here. Your and then Is off,
1: and your brain seeking that? You're driven yeah. by that feeling brain who is trying who thinks that 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 pornography is part of your survival. That's what an addiction is. It's when the feeling yeah. brain is convinced. I have to have this this for survival. So if I can't get here, Mm -hmm. I'm going to find a way to get it there. And it's constantly seeking and driving a person who has become addicted to that thing. My dad was an alcoholic. He tried three different times to dry out, go to these rehabs, and it finally took his life. So he never was able to escape alcoholism. And I think we know a lot more now about addiction we used to just think it was like a moral failing now we know brain disease and we need to treat it like that we do so that we kind of take the shame away and say okay you have an addiction you're not a bad person let's let's work with this in the way that we know the brain and as far as prevention that's what we're trying to do with good pictures bad pictures is yeah help children understand their brain and how it works and how it can be affected by pornography before they get into yes. and get yeah. it, get a lot of exposure before that happens.
0: So I have a couple questions for you. I'm following up on that. So first question that we didn't really get to when we talked about like, ask your kids, have you seen this before? So what do you do? What do you tell parents to do if they, if you've got a little kid that comes to you or, or I guess a kid of any age and says, yeah, I've seen these or, or I'm struggling with this. Like, how do you help them at that age? Good question.
1: Excellent question. Well, the first thing is just believing them and letting them tell you Mm -hmm. and not freaking out. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Keep it. Keep, you have to deal with your own emotions first, right? So be calm and then say, "I we're going to talk about this a little bit more. And don't like, like if your child comes and tells you, they may not want to reveal every little bit about it the first time. Mm-hmm. And it can be too overwhelming if you try to get extract all the information in the first conversation, right? They're going to tell you, and it's a test, and if you don't freak out, then next time they'll tell you a little bit more, right? Next time mm-hmm. they'll tell you a little bit more. Kids do this because they, they do have a hard time when their parents kind of, <gasps> you know, so if they said, I saw, you know, somebody, somebody showed me this on their phone. Well, who did that? Well, you know, it was Zach. Zach! What was he doing why would he do that Oh, well, you're never playing with zach again well uh, mm-hmm. then will that child ever come and tell you anything about that again no right so oh okay well just keep calm and then we have a smart plan guide on our website under help and heal you can go there and download this guide that will help you understand like what kinds of questions you should ask how you should ask them the kinds of information you want to get from the child eventually, but in a series of conversations. And the first step on this smart plan, because I like acronyms, stands Mm -hmm. for stay calm. And that is really hard, but stay calm so that you can get more information. But the, again, deal with your emotions first. I had a friend call me up sobbing. Like, you know how when people sob so much, they can't even talk even know mm-hmm. what they're saying. And then I finally just yeah. said, do you want me to come over? And so I went over to her house, knocked on her door. She didn't come. I opened the door. I, I just followed the sobbing and found her in her master bathroom. And mm. he was just a mess. Well, guess what? She found porn on her 14 year old's iPad he had been using. And she was just, she had her first initial reaction Was to go to the school, pull him out of school, and say, What is this? You know, why are you doing that? Mm -hmm. And I said, Take 24 to 48 hours to calm down, yeah, deal with your own emotions. Because you know what? If this has been going on, you know, taking a few days, it's not going to change anything, (laughs) right? Yeah, so. That's the first thing. And then we have other steps there. Um, I highly recommend doing this even before you would even know that your child has had a problem or has been exposed because it'll get you prepared for what is highly likely is that your child be exposed mm-hmm. may come to you or you may find something that you didn't want to see on mm-hmm. their device or um, find out about something. So it's good to be prepared <clears throat> in that way that we'll be able to help Our kids grow up and have a chance to be free from this highly addicting material that is accessible to everyone 24 7. We've never had a situation like this. You know, if you could get meth 24 7 from a Mm smartphone, you know, in the secrecy of your own bedroom, would you have a meth addiction problem? Yes, you would. Yes, you would. Mm -hmm. That kind of speaks to that. But I wanted to also um, get in some new information that we have learned about kids and their use of pornography. Over a year ago, I completed a study with an expert interviewer. We wanted to understand why kids hire porn, right? Air quotes, right? Hire porn. You know, what that means is We all have jobs to do. And when we get a product or a service, we're actually hiring that product or service to do a job for us. So what jobs do kids have that they hire porn to do? Why is porn the perfect product or service to help kids do the jobs they feel like they need to do? Well, one of the jobs kids need to do is learn about sex. Hmm. And in the absence of good information about sex, their parents helping them understand it, giving them the beautiful, the ideal use and purpose of sex. In the absence of that, kids are going to go to porn for, to learn about sex. That's a no-brainer, you know. And if you're really embarrassed talking about sex and a kid can go in their room and watch a YouTube video that's not so embarrassing, at least, you know, doesn't involve sitting and talking with another person. By the way, when you talk to kids about porn or sex, whatever, sometimes it's almost better to sit side by side doing something else, right? Mm -hmm. Making some cookies, building a Lego structure. I don't know. Reading a book, right? A little less intense. Yes. Less intense.
0: Driving in the car. Than than the
1: Mm -hmm. face-to-face. But so we've learned that kids hire porn for sex education. They hire porn to relieve them from stressful situations right deal with negative emotions so i admit when i was parenting my younger children if they got all upset i go to your room take a time out until you calm down and what happens with that is like they're on their own like you haven't mentored them about how to calm down right you're just like mm-hmm. and one of the young men that we interviewed he said you know my parents would always do that you know when I got upset, had a you know, fit or whatever, go into your room until you calm down. Once he once he discovered porn, and you know, masturbate to porn. Sorry if you don't want me to use that word, but once
0: no, he not. learned
1: that, that's the golden ticket, right? Mm-hmm. Take you away from any negative feeling super quick. And so mm-hmm. Yes. Dealing and fantasy, right? Dealing Mm -hmm. with negative emotions. If we could teach our children to deal with negative emotions. And then a third thing was one of the other ways that we found, especially with women who use porn was like, I need, but men too, I need to figure out like what is expected of me, right? So I, I'm going to go to porn, porn. I'm going to hire porn to help me do this job of learning what guys expect of me, which is sad Because in porn, you're expected to deal with a lot of degradation, pain, and Mm -hmm. act like you love it. And that's what they pretty much portray in porn or a lot of it. So, and then the other thing is how can I, you know, if I'm in a really strict, rule oriented home and I'm not allowed to make mistakes and I'm not allowed to fail, and if I do, I embarrass the whole family and blah, blah, blah then how do I rebel? How do I rebel in secret? Mm-hmm. And that was another job that kids had and that they used porn to do. Now, the main one I would say is the first two I mentioned. So we have come up and we are developing a parenting course that is called the Four Pillars of Prevention. And these four pillars are founded on love, because you need a strong loving bond with your child. And then the four pillars are one, sexual integrity. So helping that child understand the best purposes for sex, the, you know, that ideal view that we hope they will achieve in a in a long-lasting committed relationship like marriage. And then the second pillar is, I may get these out of order. But the second pillar is emotional resilience, emotional strength, so that they understand how to deal with their negative emotions in a healthy way so that they don't mm-hmm. go to an addiction, either a substance or a behavioral addiction. Yeah. Have emotions. Be a human. Neil is like a
0: bobblehead over here. He's he's nodding in I'm just,
2: yeah I'm just silently agreeing with yes. everything that you're saying I'm trying to I'm just in, taking this all in because I I think
0: a million I'm silent like this is this is him. the
2: solution these mm-hmm. are the solutions like we we all know there's we uh, there's no doubt if unless you've been hiding under a rock for the last you know 10 30 plus years we all know that the pornography is a big problem We're we're past that point What we need is the solution. And I'm just nodding my head as you're saying all this, because um, I think at this point with the up and coming generation, it's all about prevention Mm -hmm. and in a positive way, not just a like this is bad. This is bad. This is bad. You're bad if you do this. These are the consequences because that that we we've kind of gone through that and that hasn't worked. Yeah. So now we know like we need a positive solution. And it's about love. It's about relationships. It's about trust and education and all these things and, and teaching kids to love themselves and their parents and love God and, and establishing those connections. And that's, that's where the solution's at. So I'm, I'm loving so what you're saying.
1: Yes. Yeah, so that the, the first pillar is the, the sexual integrity. Second pillar is the, the emotional strength and the resilience. Third pillar is, we've already talked about this, is the technology, right? Dealing with technology tech stewardship, helping our children learn good stewardship over technology so it enhances their life and doesn't hurt their life and their relationship. Mm -hmm. And then the fourth pillar is the brain safety. It's all about protecting your, your brain from addiction. And it's all about what we teach in good pictures, bad pictures, what porn is, why it's harmful, what to do when you see it, having that vocabulary and understanding too that uh, especially as kids get older, but understanding that when you teach a child about pornography and to stay away from it, you are protecting that child, not just from addiction, but you're you're protecting that child from sexual grooming, from abuse. Mm -hmm. There is a burgeoning like growth, horribly terrifying trend of child on child, harmful sexual behavior, which is Sexual abuse. I was just uh, speaking at a symposium in DC uh, in March about that. And we had a symposium brought in people all over the country and all over Washington, DC, members of the military, the government, social workers, and talking about how porn is fueling this. There's a nurse, her name is Heidi Olson. She did a study at her hospital in Kansas she is a sexual assault nurse examiner. So when a child is brought to the hospital emergency room, they've been sexually assaulted. They're the ones that collect the evidence, you know, Mm -hmm. write up the reports. And what she started to do was to see like, is she started to see how it was connected to porn. And then she, she started to, they started to do like a survey and tally these things. What they found out was that, If you look at the ages of all of the perpetrators, Mm -hmm. the biggest category, the biggest demographic, the largest by far demographic was 11 to 15 year old boys that were perpetrating on younger children. And they weren't just doing kind of normal sexual exploration or even normal sexual intercourse, like, like you might think. They were doing porn-inspired mm-hmm. sexual acts.
0: Oh, that's
1: heartbreaking. Yes. We are training up a generation to to become offenders. And the problem is they're mm-hmm. victims too, right? Kids mm-hmm. that have been basically porn has been the perpetrator on them. Porn bought them right. and, and engendered these feelings. And they have done what is so natural and normal for kids imitate, imitate what I see adults do. That is what is driving mm-hmm. a child's brain. And we all see that in our own kids. you know when they imitate us, we're like, that was so cute, mm-hmm. but oh my gosh, that's terrifying. And you're like, "dang it, that they
2: to me. No. <laughs> yeah, so
1: them. that's why when you teach your child, when you start to porn proof them, when you start to have these conversations, you know, you you may think it's terrible if your child is perpetrated on, right? If your child is abused sexually by another child, that would be horrible. But how much more horrible would it be if your child is the one doing the the harm, right? I mean, I can't imagine that. And, you know, recently I got, I mean, I get these emails from parents all the time. And one I got was a, a mom that. She was watching a 10-year-old boy for the summer. His mom was a single mom and she worked. And so she was going to earn a little extra money. And her kids were friends with those kids. And so brought him in in the first month, no problem. And then there was an incident, And because she had talked to her seven-year-old daughter, her seven-year-old daughter reported that he had taken her into the bathroom and tried to do some very sexual things with her. And when the mother of the little girl reported back to the mom of the boy and said what had happened, she admitted that three weeks prior, she had found pornography of every kind on his iPad. And so in three weeks, now we don't know exactly how long, but they hadn't had any problem with him the first month. And then three weeks after he started looking at porn, it looks like he started acting out on a younger victim, on a a more vulnerable child. And these stories just abound. I mean, they're just everywhere. And they are starting, states are starting to actually tally them. They are shocked at how many more they're getting than they thought they would get. So child on child, harmful sexual behavior, something, again, we don't want to think about. But when we empower our children, We are helping to protect them from not only becoming addicted to pornography, but becoming harmed and harming other children. Right. And having that affect the rest of their lives. Sexting thing and sextortion where young children are being, you know, uh, predators are finding them online in these simple children's games. And getting them to send them pictures just, you know, and their suicides as a result. I mean, this is all kind of the sad part of it, but we can do something when they're young. We can help prevent some of these really sad stories.
0: Yeah, and it's super important for us to, I mean, there's a balance here. We really need to talk about how serious and and, um, what the possible repercussions of all of this is. I don't want us to be, I mean, even just if it was the conversation just with the three of us, like these are important things for me to know, for Neil to know, and all the other parents that are going to listen to this. I I want this important information shared. But it's also really just like on a personal note for Neil and for me, like I went through so many years of trying to find something that would give me a little bit of hope online when i when he was struggling with his pornography addiction and it just felt like it was never getting better and most of what i found was about the problem not the solution when i would look for things for resources online and that's bringing it full circle that's what i love about your books that that they are helpful that this is a solution that we're talking about solution that we're talking not just about how big the problem is but
1: okay, let's talk about a solution. So the reason we talk about the problems somewhat, and I don't actually spend a lot of time mm -hmm. when I speak or whatever, talking about the problems, but we do need to be aware of the problems so that hopefully we will be motivated to start that prevention process with our children. And I get it. This is heavy. You know, I feel like most of the time I'm pretty like uh, almost immune to some of this, but about three times a year, I have a day where I just break down and cry all day. Right? Oh, I'm sure. I'm I'm sure. But we don't, we're not powerless. We can do something about this problem. We can help our children. We can give them the tools, give them the knowledge and give them the love and the mentorship that they need to get them through. And there are lots of kids. There was a story of a nine-year-old boy. His mom had just read him, good pictures, bad pictures, taught him that can-do plan. And he went school, and three days mm-hmm. later, somebody showed him porn on a device. He came home and he told his mom. He says, "Mom, I was scared, but I knew what to mm-hmm. do." do oh, what awesome. to do. Awesome. What a beautiful gift to give our kids that they know what yes. to do and they know they can come and talk to us and share with us that, that burden. So then we can help them deal with this and hopefully help them to steer clear and avoid getting involved in it. Cause you're never going to, you know, when people say prevention, well, you can't prevent it. I'm Like, I'm not saying that no kid's going to be exposed. That's not it. It's kind of like, you know, your child is going to, if they go out in the rain, they're going to get wet. But guess what? You put a little raincoat on them, right? Give them an umbrella. whatever. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, yes, they'll be out in the rain, but they'll be protected. So, you know, in this four pillar approach, it's very positive and very empowering and it's comprehensive. Because you can't just do one thing, right? It, it, there's a comprehensive approach, and we base it upon what we have learned all these years from talking to people like you, Neil, who have, tro- you know, that hard road of recovery. And we've learned, yeah. So,
0: Kristen, we've talked about so many great things, so many great ideas and tools, and your books that you know we'll we'll bring it back to that too at the very very end. But I just want to know. If there's one thing, because there just have been so many good ideas and little truth nuggets that you've left with us. If there's one thing, one message that people walk away with, what do you want that to be?
1: The relationship with your children, the open communication is really the best form of inoculation. You know, I I kind of hesitate to use the inoculation because it's not a one little shot and you're done, right? It's like you need a booster shot continuously, but it's that relationship. And that's why the books help because you're sitting there talking and it helps you develop that conversation. But if a child doesn't feel like they can be open with you, they feel like you're going to be so disappointed in them because they were pulled into it, you're, if they're, if they can't talk with you openly, if they don't have that base of like, I know my parents love me and no matter what I do, they'll mm-hmm. always love me. And I know they're going to prepare me to be successful in this world. And they have my back and they're cheering me on, but they don't expect me to be perfect. I don't know. To me, that seems like the biggest gift we can give our kids is yeah, we're with you. We're on your... On or on your team, or on your side. Porn is the enemy, but you are not the enemy, even though you may have been uh, tempted uh, to to look at porn or even seek it out. You're not the enemy. Porn is the enemy, and I will always love you no matter what. I guess that would be my the one thing. If I have to have one thing, I've got four pillars, but the one thing <laughs> would be to be hopeful. Right? Uh, You can't go forward without hope. You can't even get out of bed without hope, right? Um, And like you said, most times when you were just looking for hope. So, yeah. So good. Thanks
0: so much, Kristen, for sharing so much wisdom. It really, I have learned so much today. Um, Where can people find you? Where can they find these resources? So
1: protectyoungminds.org and our books are also on Amazon. They're bestsellers on Amazon. You can read the reviews. We've got over 500 reviews on our original book. We'll put all of these resources on
0: the show notes and make sure that we have links to the books, links to your site, links to everything there so that it's very easy for everyone that listened today to find those.